Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Chef Jordan Chaton, and you are now tuned in to Chefish. And today we have Chef Josh Swinney. Chef Josh actually owns his own catering company, brand consulting company with his business partner, and he also is a private chef, caterer, and photographer. Yes. Okay, because all of these things to me are very important to who you are and how you present your work. Mm -hmm. So it's part of the things that I admire about Chef Josh. So Chef Josh is actually from Fayetteville, North Carolina. Yes. And he grew up kind of as an artistic kid. So you were into drawing, you were into creating. Did you have a passion for music as well? Yes. So me and all my siblings played music in some capacity. Okay. Singing or Playing a drum. I play drums and bass and my okay. brothers play keyboard, organ, drums, all that type nice, of stuff. Nice. So. Nice. So I'm sure that intertwines with where you are now. Yes, today. for sure. Yes. So he was always an artistic kid and one of his friends, dad's was a chef. Yes. And so that kind of sparked his creativity of becoming a chef. And so at some point he moved to Charlotte. Yes. And went to the Art Institute the Culinary Art Institute in Charlotte, mm-hmm. right? And so after that, somehow you ended up in Atlanta where you are today. And again, like I said, he owns his own branding consulting company that also caters, does big events and private chefing and photography on the side. Okay. <laughs> yes. But as I'll let him tell you exactly what that is and what he does, but it's ambiance. I've been to a few of his events, so I felt the vibe before. And now that you said you were into music, like it all makes, makes sense. more sense. Yeah. Yes. So I'm super excited to learn that detail about you. So that's a little history on Chef Josh. And so welcome to the couch. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. Just to give my chefies a little taste. Once you got to Atlanta and really started getting into your career, how long ago was that? So I moved to Atlanta in 2016. Okay. I came here for work. So I was working with a big food service corporation. Right. They asked me to move here to actually help out with a few accounts. So I moved here, seen the city and loved it. Seeing the culture, that's pretty much why I moved here was one, because of the culture of Atlanta. Okay. I had some friends here. And then when I started meeting different culinarians, it just made sense. Like living in Charlotte, black people are certain minorities in a lot of spaces, but there the majority was 53% white or Caucasian. Okay. So at the end of the day, that reflected in our industry. So a lot of opportunities were being given to those people. Right. And not really being reflected in what the work that we do as well. So I came to Atlanta, I seen a big, vast difference in the amount of like, you know, publicity we get or also opportunities we get here. So I want to be a part of the culture and help like try to create community as much as possible. And what company was that that you're what what was the actual position that you did in Charlotte before you moved here? So I was what was it? District district support chef with Compass Group. Okay. So, so I mean, I managed. What is that for those that for my <laughs> chefies out there? Tell, tell them what it is that you did. So a district support chef, you basically manage a region, a region, sorry. So I had about 30 accounts that I was over. I trained all the managers, went in and fixed any account issues. Uh, we balanced did about, the books. Balanced books. So it was about 80 million in revenue that we was sort of like looking over and, and ensuring that, you know, our clients were happy with client retention. Okay. Um, any big caterings, any new accounts we were adding. I was training, going in, opening accounts, doing onboarding, the works. So, And for those that don't know what onboarding is, what is that? 
So that's just training new staff. Well, hiring and training new staff, pretty much, you know, making sure they know all the policies and procedures, setting up new systems. Each account is different. So, I mean, some accounts was as small as having a staff of 10 to 20 people. Mm. Some accounts we had 150 people. Okay. So actually getting people accustomed to working in different teams and subsets really helped the business, you know, function and maneuver the way it's supposed to. And I'm sure that gave you a upper hand or the, a look at the inner workings of different styles of management for people that were actually in the kitchens working with the teams. Yes. Yeah. So, and that kind of plays into what you do now. Right. <laughs> everything that ever happens is preparation for what's to come. That's right? true. So do you feel like when you were growing up with your friend's dad, do you feel like he kind of like influenced how you cook now? He did. Okay. A lot. So he's actually from South Carolina. Okay. And he was over in like the Charleston region where okay. he learned like really like a lot of the big restaurants that was there and popular during the 90s and or even back to the 80s and 70s. Okay. He was influenced. He influenced a lot of what they did. Okay. So and he was never. And what kind of food is that style? More like Geechee Gullah. Oh. Or like Southern cuisine. Real gumbo. Real gumbo. Real gumbo. <laughs> Original gumbo. Real right? gumbo. The roux is the most important yeah. Yeah. A lot of people. Yeah. And, it, and the sausage as well. Well, yes. You would hope that you would get it authentically from where it's from. Yes. But okay. So that's good to know. So now that we've given them a little taste and that given them a starter, mm-hmm. I want to get into the main course. Okay. And so you also do photography. I do. And so how did you start doing that and how does that play a part in what you do now? So I got into photography because I wanted to create content for culinarians. I knew a lot of times looking in our space, like sometimes people don't make a lot of money or have that excess amount of money to really help themselves create content that's appropriate for branding. Right. So that's what I really got into it for is really just to help my colleagues and help myself. Okay. And then outside of that, I knew there's a way where the creatives could really create and feel safe and not have to put out a bunch of money. Right. But I could also get my money on the back end from like the brands or like other opportunities. So like I always look at as planting a seed and getting my blessing back later in some aspect. Right. Now I'm not stupid. I still make my money off of it, right. but like I help certain people with certain things that then I know they need assistance with. So. Right. So you take a percentage kind of like, is that what you do? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I guess, no, I get, let me rephrase that. No, okay. I get paid straight up from the brands. If we're working with the brand, if we're working, if I'm working with an individual, I may okay. do a project or two to help them to right. showcase them. Okay. And then from there, like, you know, I just sort of, the deals I'm that you help make, that you're the dot connector. Right. Yeah. So outside of that, I still do other photography stuff where I charge for, you know, my full rate for it. So. Right. But with a lot the of brands, time, major. With well, the major brands. individuals, brands. A lot of times I go shoot an event or shoot a restaurant, somebody to see it. And then from there, they say, oh, I want to shoot you. You know, have you shoot something else for me. So it works out. Right. So do you never formally studied photography? No. No. I picked up a camera one day. And just <laughs> start shooting. Okay. I did have like some people who sort of mentored me in some aspects. Okay. Who are they? I, well, they was videographers. Okay. So one of the guys' name is Terrence Crowley. He's a videographer okay. here in Atlanta. He's great. Cordaria is still. Shout out to y'all. Yeah. Cinevision. He's dope as well. And then from there, photography wise, there's another girl. We all went to church together. So that's how we start okay. you know, shooting together in aspects. So Lala Spears, she showed me a lot as well. So. Outside of that, I just YouTube University and actually when I was shooting. So we love it. Okay, so you actually I love this. So you actually do make a nice amount of money in photography. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> 
on top of being a private chef so and caterer. So beyond that, how did you start balancing your time between the two? Like when you start working with these bigger brands and you're doing the catering, like what does that look like? So I quit my corporate job in April of 2021. Okay. So, that, so not that long ago. No. So it allowed me a lot more time in okay. essence to do what I want to do. And then also with my business, I mean, I got a calendar. So I just look and see what we got booked on certain dates. And then from there, I balance out the gigs with that. So now, I mean, I get a lot more bookings for photography. By the beginning, I was really just focused on the private chef side. Right. Right. But I moved away from private chef and start doing caterings. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's more so us evolving as a business and a brand and really seeing where do we want to spend our time, right. energy, and effort, and then maneuvering around from there. Where you want to do what? Spend your what? Time, energy, and effort. So. And so that's what that's what dictates your, your time, energy, and effort, essentially. Yeah. I love that. A lot of people don't really think about that in the bigger picture of things. They yeah. like exert a lot of time and energy and end up unhappy at the end of the day. Yeah. But I guess you working with the bigger brands along the way kind of like made it easier pathway to provide that for you. Right. Yes. So do you feel comfortable talking about money? Can we say ballpark for the people that are getting into those type of industries? If you're taking pictures, this is what this looks like. Or as a if you're working with the corporate, you know, Whatever you're comfortable with. And if you're not, yeah. we can scrap it and move on. No, we can. Scrap it and move on? Or talk no, we about can it. talk about it. Okay, cool. So when you are structuring like deals for bigger brands and corporate, when you first started out, what were those numbers looking like? So it really was like, hour, I had to take a breath because I was thinking about it, but it's really like an hourly rate. Okay. And that's what I would charge them. But as I'm getting smarter around it, it's more so like, what's the scope of work? Okay. Right. So what, what is scope of work for people that don't? So know? scope of work really just entails what's really needed for that project per se. Right. So they may say I want 50 photos. Okay. Right. So I could go in and say, okay, I got you. What are you going to use the photos for? Like, is it going to be on billboards? Is it going to be online? Is it just for social? Right. Because all those equate to different dollar amounts. Okay. So like how long am I going to actually be shooting? You know, it's just like making sure I got all the details needed so I can provide the proposal that's appropriate for the project. Okay. And like baseline for somebody that wants the 50 pictures, what does that look like? What are they using it for? Let's say for like Bon Appetit. Oh, that's like magazines and stuff? Yeah. You're going to charge 50 photos. You're going to make some money. You're going to, I'm, I'm going to give you, you like a low end. low end. If you're doing it cheap, about $5,000. That's cheap. Yeah. And what's high range? Like magazine where they're yeah. selling it? Yeah. Print. Some people some people charge up like twenty five, thirty K. Like for one. I met yeah, for one for that fifty, you know, photos range. Right. So I mean some people charge more. It's, it's really dependent upon like their rate per right. se. So I got a friend that did well, a photo shoot for a brand like that. Right. And she made over twenty K off of it. Okay. So and it wasn't quite 50 photos is probably closer to like 25, 30. So it really depends upon what your skill set is. Like, are you going in and doing the professional retouches yourself or do you got to have like a team to do it? Or is the brand getting their team to take care of that for you? Right. And you just got to produce the content. Do you got to be due to creative direction? Okay. Like all that goes into how it works for these shoots. So if it's just a photographer shooting straight up, then your rate is going to be different. 
Okay. Right. If I don't have to do no professional retouches or anything, but if you're going in and actually giving creative direction, styling everything, making sure like you do food styling, then no, no. For my stuff, yes. But for other people, no. Okay. <laughs> We're going to hire somebody else in to do that. Okay. So okay. reason being, because that's all time. Like, I want to be able to focus in on what I could do. Right. Right. So even when it comes to lighting, right. Right. They have people that come in and do the lighting sets as well. But you're doing more. You said you're doing more photography now than you are with the catering and the private chefing, right? No, catering is, I'm still doing a lot of catering. Are you present for those or do you send your teams out? Most times I'm present. Okay. Right now I'm present. I'm trying to build a structure in which that's why I didn't name my brand Chef Josh and Co. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. It's just like I wanted a brand that if I wasn't there, my clients won't expect me to. You know what I mean? More fluid. Yeah. And I can put in another chef or like one of our team members and it's perfectly fine. Right. And we've done that before and clients have been perfectly fine as well. So. Okay, so at what point did you start building the team for, and your company's name is Sincere Fair? Yes. So at what point did you start building that team? So really, when I worked in corporate, a lot of people that I worked with, they said, hey, when you when you leave, we still want to work with you in some aspect. I said, okay, cool. So I, I guess I've been building a team since I got here in 2016. Okay. But when I left, I just start calling people and say, yo, like I got this opportunity, you want to work? Yeah, and then from there... They just kept calling me, hey, you got anything else? Or right. I just go ahead and send out texts and messages and just inform them what we got going on for the next few weeks or the month or whatever. So our team, I don't have anybody on like a full-time salary yet. No. Um, but we we present like, you know, good working opportunities for people to make good money on the side. And so how many people do you have on your team now? As far as cooks, probably around about 10 people. Okay. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah, no, that's nice. So we sort of rotate them in and out, in and out. Like we have a consistent client every weekend. Right. So we take care of them and our team comes in and knock out that or for any other events. It really just depends on what we're doing. Right. So like if, you know, we're building any type of team, certain people can do certain things great. Yeah. You know, you and play off the strengths and weaknesses. Yes. So certain people like aren't good at prep. Right. And so prep is the, the key to getting the job done. It's all the work that gets done before the people see you on yeah. site at the job. So yeah. a prep person is not the person you want during the event on the line, the forward facing chef. Some people aren't that hospitable. Right. So, right. so they need to stay in the kitchen, not be forward facing with right. the chef. You know what I'm saying? So I totally understand that. And so your business partner is actually a mixologist, mm-hmm. right? And so and sommelier. and sommelier and beekeeper and pilot. Yeah. What up, Rob? <laughs> what up, Rob? We trying to get you on the couch, player. Yeah. It's hard to lock him down. But how did that relationship come about? So before I got here in 2016, I was doing some nonprofit work with somebody else. Right. Okay. So Rob actually met him through us doing that nonprofit work. Okay. So when I got here, we, we was doing another business. Me and Rob was in another business venture together with another group of fellas. It was a tech startup. Oh, okay. And we he had a housewarming or whatever. And we went over his house. And um, I seen his house and when I was there, he was like, if you ever want to do a dinner or something here, let me know. I said, matter of fact, I'm trying to do one in two months. What's up? What's up? So he was like, all right. And we start, I started planning, coordinating with them. And then he was like, well, I can do drinks. I said, I didn't know you did drinks, bro. And he was like, yeah, I can do the drinks. So we, we went from a clearing out his like living room because uh, his living room and kitchen is sort of like an open space. Okay. Nice. So we cleared out the living room. I removed all the stuff. And I said, okay, we're just going to put a table for 12 right here. That was the initial goal. Oh, that's a nice size table, too. Yeah. When we got done, it was 
40 people in his crib. Oh, yeah. So we rocked out. That was our very first event. It was called Southern De- Southern Holiday Experience. And it was dope. People always ask us when we doing the next one. We had a live violinist there. We had um, live painting going on. And it was so intimate. We had the lights like dimmed. Yeah. Like, And then, yeah, the string lights going across the ceiling and everything. So Their setups are pretty moody. <laughs> it made it feel like a vibe. Yeah. And then so we started out beginning of the night listening to Christmas music and stuff because it happens in like November, December. Right. So it's that holiday side. What uh, time of year. Nice. Per se. And... People loved it. People want to get dressed up around that time and be around people their age, not necessarily family forward and focus more with their friends. But so I've been to the Sincere Affair events Mm -hmm. and I feel like there was music at the one that I went to with the drinks, not necessarily violin, but there was music involved. Um, It was moodier lighting. And that was at the Schiller Institute. Yes. And so what, what is the Schiller Institute and why is that partnership so important to you? The Schiller Institute is a black owned culinary school. Um, They're starting up now and they're about to get like really ramped up with their projects and everything. But Chef Schuller is the, like one of the first or few black master chefs that's within, um, America per se. Yeah. Um, And he just pretty much like mentors and trains a lot of up and coming culinary talent. So it's an opportunity for like like a lot, not just minorities, but a lot of other black and um, brown diverse people um, to come in and right. (laughs) A lot of the other people people. to come in and actually just have a space in which they can learn from somebody that's really going to care about you. And also not really. It looks like you. Yeah. It looks like you. Um, it's going to give you opportunities, but also not have the financial constraints of going to one of these larger private schools as well. Mm. So, and so how often do you do events at the Schiller Institute? So I don't do them often. Okay. Um, but we have something that we're working on for like long-term okay. uh, partnership. But I feel like it's been like once a year ish. We do. All right. So we do at, least, do at least once a year. Then I also help them out with events as well. Right. So wherever they need support, like I'm able to go in and help them. Right. Um, we just have a good partnership. And then we also did something that is other space. So uh, Chef Schuler or the Schuler Institute is at Farm Kitchen and Bar and Tucker. And then they also have a partnership with Microsoft downtown. Nice. So they have a, a nice. restaurant space there. So we did oh, um, our Southern Holiday Experience. Made with Love and Soul is another concept we have. <laughs> I had to think through the events. Okay. So Made with Love and Soul, um, we did that at Microsoft this past time. And that was in November okay. of, this, yeah, of last year. So we did it twice. The first one was at the Epicurean. The second one was at uh, Microsoft. And like you've been to our events before. This one isn't seated. Right. Like the one you came to. This one is more networking so mixer. Networking mixer. We love it. We set up we set up chef stations with uh, mixologist parents at each station. And there's different chefs from throughout the city and then different mixologists and we all just sort of create a, 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 a loving yeah, a loving soulful experience for people to come and just really connect. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And so do you feel like you also did, when you were growing up, you did mom and pop, fine dining, the catering. Do you feel like now when you're doing your own events, do you feel like you're still trying to do fine dining mixed in with more relaxed looks when it's not networking? I try to, we try to play it in different aspects to give different feels because our, our client base or even the people who support us mm-hmm. is a diverse crowd. So they so, have their own vision when they come to you. Yeah. So okay. 
when when we host our own experiences, yes, then we try to diversify, you know, to give people something different to look forward to. Right. So made with love and soul is more like networking, so you get to taste different aspects from other chefs from around the city. Nice. Um, but then like some of our other events, like Southern Holiday, is something that I'm probably going to be doing more so going forward. You know, like so you can see like the sincere fair side. Right. That's how we originally started. Right. And we brought in other support, but now it's like. Let's go back and go back to where we started, you know, and really see how that works and functions. And it gives our crowds different, you know, ex- excitement for different experiences. Because if it's always the same, they're like, oh, everything's networking. Mm-hmm. But they know now they could come and get some different types of food and like they can sit at different tables and meet people and like just be intimate and intentional. I think that's important as well. So do you feel like you go out and get contracts or do the contracts kind of come to you? For my caterings? Yes. They come to us. Okay. I probably need to do a better job of <laughs> doing more outbound, but to be honest with you, like... But not if you stay busy. If we stay pretty... Word of mouth is doing it. We stay consistent. We get a lot of uh, referrals from clients and then a lot of repeat clients, so... So you have retention. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you worked already at it, so you kind of understand the math. Yes. <laughs> right? And so beyond, beyond that, do you intertwine your photography with the events that you actually do or do you kind of keep those separate because you don't have the time it's sort of hard to work the event and do the photography aspect mm-hmm. um if i sometimes i try to uh-huh. but it's just hard it's hard to balance <laughs> Cause, yeah because even if i'm working even if i'm not like working in the kitchen then i'm still sort of like managing different aspects right and it's not even me actually going out and say hey servers go here da 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 but it's People want to talk to you because it's part is your brand. You know? Shaking hands and kissing babies. Yeah. So it's hard to hold a camera and be sh- talking to people because you'll miss moments. Right. I totally understand that. And so can you talk a little bit more about um, your focuses of when you create budgets for brands when you're when you're basically approaching them versus them coming to you? Like, what are some components that go into that? Give me three key things. Got you. So when I actually go to Brandon, ask them for any type of like financial compensation, one, uh-huh. um, I, I want to see what's their vision for what they have going on. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, you know, we can have an idea of an event, but it's more so like, what's, does it align? Right. You know, is there any type of brand alignment? So if there's brand alignment, then they have, you know, more freely give versus if it's a project you asking for a favor on. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's one thing I always start with alignment. Um, also, Alignment is key, y'all. Yeah, it's super, it's super key. Okay. Um, major plug. Major, <laughs> major key. Yeah. So, so I have to say, a brand alignment, and then also, um, I let them know our needs, man. Like, in order to get this done, this yeah, is what we need. This is how much it costs, straight right. up, straight up. You know, so outside, I don't want to live off just ticket sales. Like, how else can we make money? Right. You know, so this is what I need. I need you to take care of this, that, and the third. I mean, anytime you host an event, the most highest, I guess, cost is going to be like the space. Right. You know, outside of space, then it's going to be your food and beverage and staff, your labor. Right. right. So for me, if I could get them to take care of, if I could get them to take care of those aspects, that helps out a lot. Okay. Yeah. And then product. I need to give my, I need to give my guests something to go. Right. I need to have product there to showcase like this is a brand partnership. But one thing I learned a lot within all of that is to make sure you don't get lost. Okay. Because those brands will come in and bring their big, you know, backdrops and all this other stuff. And then people think it's a, 
I don't want to name a brand, but I'm just a target. It's a target event. Right. Because I don't want to event. Right. Right. Versus it's sincere fair event. Right. Let's make sure your signature is bigger and there's a smaller <laughs> towards the yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. I tell you, so stand true with your own voice and your brand. Mm-hmm. Don't get rolled over by the big guys. Yes. When the big guys come in. And they don't mind doing it. It's a collaboration. And so was there ever a time where you felt like you weren't properly compensated? And if so, like, what did that look like? Yes. I think over time we learned to ensure that we're taken care of within business in general. Um, So really for me, I always looked at it from the aspect of like how much work am I doing in comparison to how much pay we're receiving. Right. Um, So what I've done is really sort of set some boundaries within that um, to really for yourself for myself key yeah because it's not always setting boundaries for other people I always say we have to teach our clients how to treat us mm-hmm. but we also have to set clear boundaries for ourselves because if we're overworked and underpaid we obviously agree to that right 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 so, yeah because for me I'm, I'm not an emotional person mm-hmm. but I really enjoy like creating relationships yeah I understand relationship is something that's going to keep us long-term in business it is you know so it's almost how they say, like, the golf course is a place where a lot of business um, is done. It's because you're building relationships there. It ain't necessarily because you're just playing golf with somebody, but it's the golf that presents the opportunity for that relationship to be built. And uh-huh. what you say, okay, hey, yeah, I rock with you on this project. Or, hey, I can give a million dollars to this or whatever. So, so you're saying I need the golf? I'm learning. I'm actually starting Let me find spring. out. I need to get a puck. <laughs> Let me go out here. What's going on with these greens out here, yeah. brothers? So with, with that being said, I think to answer your question, um, what I did is I have a business manager in place. Okay. Um, so she, you're not going to really talk to me that much. A lot of clients come to me to talk. I say, hey, let's take it back to my business manager. And then from there, we negotiate. So. Oh, um, you talk to me, though. Thank you. I talk to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Outside of people I don't know. Right. I set up boundaries because at the end of the day. Um, I'm not trying to get screwed over. Right. And as soon as I hear it naturally, I'm going to say no. And that's my business manager. Like she starts to negotiate. Right. On my behalf. So you just learn. Like if I felt a few times I wasn't properly compensated. Right. And there's nothing you can do after you agree to doing it. Right. Right. And then also you learn to put that stuff in your contract. In the contract. So it's like, hey, if your catering starts at four o'clock. Then if we, well, you call me and say, Josh, I want to do a catering at four o'clock. Right. But you really not starting at six. Right. Oh, we got a problem because I got to pay the staff an additional two or three hours yes. after that. You know, so yes. it's like, let's ensure all that's within the contract. Like what's the start time of the actual event or the dinner service? Because that's what time we're going to have the stuff prepped for. Uh-huh. And then also like what time can we arrive? Like it's just different variables that I think need to be like included in writing. Right. Well, I always say when I'm like doing my contracts, even for private chefing, like if I'm traveling, it needs to be first class. I need um, a five star, four to five star hotel. It needs to be five minutes away or it needs to be an luxury Airbnb with a driver. Mm-hmm. I need $100 a day per diem. If you don't ask for those things, nobody's going to give it to you. Mm-hmm. So and we're talking about catering budgets is driving. It's the prep time. How many how many people do you need to hire to prep? All of that goes into play. And then so basically his whole thing was setting a clear boundary to include if you go over this time, if it doesn't start on time, we now incur other costs and added fees. You know, something I learned as well is when for the exit of the event, 
sometimes they find spaces where the kitchen is tucked in the back. Uh-huh. And then once the event starts, there's no way like a back door or anything to get out of. Right. And I got stuck at an event before like that as well. So we had, we might've got done with dinner around like nine. Uh-huh. The event didn't end until 12. Oh no. So now the staff is sitting there. We can't pull the carts and stuff through because you got chairs and tables and all this other so stuff. So the exit, the your exit route is really important. Making sure you actually map out the venue so you can see what's exactly going on. Yeah. And ensure that you have your best interest going first. And the staff's exit. Because yeah. somebody got to pay the staff that got to stay. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that's where you feel like you were not compensated properly. You basically had to learn. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you got to learn. Yeah. And a lot of times we learn the hard way because nobody's out here necessarily teaching us, especially in the entrepreneur space. Yeah. Right. And so for your recipe for success, tell me three things that you would want someone getting into the business to know, or three things that you would tell your younger self. Hmm. Three things. So the first for me is always start with the craft. Okay. Right. Like if I was to go back not even go back and tell my younger self, somebody who's coming into the game, because I feel like I did a good job of that, is really take time to learn. Take time. You're not going to make money when you first start out heavily, you know, but really learn the craft. Make sure you're bringing value to your clientele through your craft. Like just don't go out and Alfredo everything. Don't go out and like, you get what I'm saying? Like do the same dishes all the time. Have some like creative expansion you know, read, go out and study, right. go travel, like work with chefs. I, shoot, I used to work for free. Just go and stage at places just to learn. Yeah. And even, what's a stage? A stage is where you go work at a restaurant for free. Okay. Or it don't even have to be a restaurant. It could be any type of food space. Right. But you basically right. go work for free and you just go learn. Truck. Yep. Somewhere. A private chef. Like anybody. Sommelier. Yeah. Mixologist. Go be a bartender. Yeah. Go get your bartender. Life. And that that could create a level of relationship yeah. right but also like mentorship as well because now if you go like people come to me and they say oh i want to work with you but then you want a, a paycheck behind it and i don't mind but your skill set is not align with what i need as far as business needs right versus i'm bringing you in and you just automatically at what i'm making right it's like no bro like you don't have to learn you gotta first of all show me Right. So I can see where, exactly where you're at. And then you have to be willing to learn. Mm-hmm. So that's your two. Is yep. that your two? So, yep. Learn. Uh, the last thing would probably be understand the business side of it. Like get very smart on making sure. One thing we do is from the legal side, mm-hmm. contracts. Like we got an entertainment lawyer, a lawyer to really review everything, make sure we're up and up. Yeah. And then also the aspect of like accounting. So my business partner, he has... Uh, he works in accounting and finance, so he has What to, doesn't Rob do? He does a little bit of everything. I ain't gonna say everything, dude, but he does a little bit of everything. <laughs> okay. So with that, like I understand accounting to a certain degree because I worked in corporate for so long. Mm-hmm. But on the stuff I may not be as strong in, he understands. So we got systems in place where we got different like levels of accountability. So even though he's over finance, we still have like an accountant that works with us. We also have a tax accountant. Okay. So it's like a couple of layers to make sure nobody's missing anything. So getting really smart on the business end is going to help you long term. Because I'm not looking, I'm looking to win now, but I'm really looking to win 10 to 15 years from now. Right. So setting yourself up for success in the future so that way you have an exit plan as well. I was going to say that. Do you feel that having an exit strategy is important? I always tell younger chefs mm-hmm. and food professionals that come to me for advice, I tell them, 
create the exit plan mm -hmm. and also create a plan once you attain the success you want how you'll re retain it yeah because a lot of people plan for that for the getting there but they don't plan how to stay there yeah so it kind of like there's those missing and then also the exit because you don't want to be doing it 30 40 50 years because it's easy yeah to go is. by i'm 20 years in yeah. already how many years in are you about 15 see yeah it just be flying by yeah that exit strategy is importante y'all it is and so for our palate cleanser, after a long day of cooking, mm -hmm. so you're on the job, you get a catering, when you get home, what are you eating? What are you making yourself? What's going on? It's almost embarrassing. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's almost embarrassing. No, I don't I don't eat it don't matter what we cook at an event or anything. I don't if I'm around it all day, I never eat it. Yeah. So when I get home, I eat like a sandwich. I'm a sandwich and cereal girl. Yeah, I was about to say, that's why I said it's almost embarrassing because I'm not cooking no more for no, the day. No, no. I don't want to get in there and make no raviolis or whatever. I don't want to touch the kitchen, period. No. I don't want to clean a plate, really. That sandwich is going on a napkin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, some, or, or, I mean, sometimes I do put it on a real plate. Just yeah. Just dishwasher. You know, but. whatever. The little ones, though. I'm yeah. real. I don't want a big plate. <laughs> I'm really like, I don't yeah. want no extra mess. So, okay. And see. it's not a super, like, fancy sandwich. No, simple for me. Yeah. Some bread. A little bit of mayonnaise. Well, I kind of like a little bit more mayonnaise. Mayonnaise. And whatever the meat is and a fresh cheese. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's just the meat and the mayo and the bread and I'm satisfied. I like a little Dijon on mine. Just a little bit. Okay. Just a little bit. A little extra sauce. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We like that spice. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Plus the spice. And then when you are cooking in the kitchen, what are you usually listening to? It depends. So well, I love music, so it's a range. Okay. You might listen to some Tito Puente or okay. you might be listening to music Soul Child or we may be listening to like gospel music or like sometimes country. Like okay. What I used to do with my staff when I worked in corporate or just in, well, when, when our team gets together even now, we play different music based upon like the culture of food that we're cooking. Okay. So the it vibe. Just, yeah, it creates a vibe. It creates like sort of like a mental like fun aspect and it's you on the zone too you yeah. feel like you're really there yeah. in the space because you know as culin we're culinary we're artists mm -hmm. in our own right and so i always feel like music kind of weaves into the fabric of us cooking sometimes it's silence yeah. so that's usually when it's not a team for me i can yeah. do it in silence but when there's other people i like a certain vibe in the yeah. kitchen so music and what we eat at the end of the day is like my palate cleanser i always wonder because chefs don't always have the best diet is usually my thing and that's it's true. not what people think we would want to eat you know it's mm -hmm. like no i want the most simplest thing i want to be in and out okay in and out i ain't really <laughs> trying to touch the kitchen that's true so for our dessert, can you talk to me about ways that you've set the bar for people of color in food now? Mm -hmm. What do you? So for me, I think one thing that I've done is when I worked in corporate, mm -hmm. I noticed there was nobody that looked like me. Uh, I was one of the youngest district support managers in general. Okay. Um, when I moved to Georgia, it's a good old boy system down here. So a lot of them didn't like me because I was very educated. And I knew what I was talking about. Oh, were you well-spoken? Well-spoken. <laughs> yeah, I was actually told that. Yeah, um, you're well. so well-spoken. <laughs> well-spoken. What does that mean? And then I also, like, if I know something is wrong or I don't agree with it, I'm not really, I'm not going to back down to a certain degree. And people kind of probably underestimate that because you're so calm-mannered and yeah. mild-mannered. Yeah. So. And then when that happens, like, sometimes it's just ego, you know? Right. So for me, I've, I've learned to how to like, you know, navigate those situations. Kind of like racism within the industry. It is. Yeah. And, and you can see it like so 
Clearly, the if you're the company, only one. The last company I worked for, I was the only black executive chef. And this is a big like corporate client that we're working up, up under contract, up under. Right. And I was the only black executive chef in America's, not just North America, but South what? America as well. Outside of that, there was probably, I think, three Hispanic chefs and the rest of them were white. Wow. How many women? Maybe out of like 80 chefs, it may have been 15. Mm. So when I left, I hired a black executive chef that was a woman as well. Uh huh. You know, so it wasn't that I didn't, you know, was just going for that. But when I seen her, and I seen her skill set. I was like, "Oh yeah, she gotta, she gotta be able to come over and take this role." So, so that's dope because when giving women opportunities is actually really super important. Yeah. So I appreciate that. And all my sous chefs uh-huh. were mainly women. Almost every account I was at, I love it. Or if I had a male uh, sous chef, then I hired a, a female because I feel like women bring a different energy. Yeah. Um, they bring a different passion. Just a and different, a different level of care. A different level of attention to detail. Yeah. Because nurturing, men, yeah. it's a different aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Even how they deal with the, the staff and the team and everything. So I feel like you always need a good balance within any other team. Right. Yeah. Women do actually belong in the kitchen, guys. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. In the major way. For in sure. In the major way. For our dessert. So Sincere Fair is the company that you own. Can you tell me exactly what that is and what you provide? Mm-hmm. We're mainly focusing on three things, right? So... One, we do consulting. Okay. Right. So that's how we got the clients every weekend. Mainly we went in as a consultant. Then from there, we seen the need for our food expertise in their spaces. So we actually just, you know, position ourselves to be going in. Right. Then two, we um, have products that we're about to start pushing. So Rob, the beekeeper. Yeah. <laughs> the beekeeper, yes. pilot, mixologist, sommelier, yes. accountant. Yeah. So uh, we're going to start pushing honey. Um, and then those honey experiences we have. I love like, it. Um, some booze block boards and like some home products that people will be able to use as well. Um, Are then, you guys going to do kind of like workshops where they make it? Where they make the what? Make some of the stuffs or is yes. it just fully product? Oh, so even we have like cocktail kits as well. Yes. So. I, I know you guys sent me with the cocktail. That was part one of the parting gifts at, yeah. at one of the um, events. I want to say I might have been at it for you now that I think about it. Yeah. Okay, so products and what else? And then the last thing we do is just our services. So like our catering and everything, you know, so I was at first, we didn't want to do the events and catering side. Right. But then people just start. It was a demand for it. Right. So when I start seeing the demand for us, okay. Feel the need. Let's position ourselves to make it make sense. Yeah. To where we can feel the need. Okay. So and for our outro, Mm -hmm. tell me what's next for you. Are you thinking this year or just long term? Um, you can tell me 2023 and then where you see yourself. What's the bigger picture? Okay. So 2023, we're just going to continue to sort of grow our brand presence per se. Okay. Um, you'll see us doing more pop-ups throughout the year. More things that's going to keep drawing on that communal aspect or community aspect okay. um, within the industry. and. Okay. Um, with other chefs. With other chefs, mixologists. Yes. Um, people, anybody who works within the Chef ish. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be putting chef ish stuff together. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh-huh. So I'm even going to, I stopped doing pop ups or anything like that for a minute, but I'm going to do a f- few pop ups this year. Okay. Um, just to allow people to be able to, like, you know, touch different people in different aspects. Right. Everybody can't afford our dinners that's like 150 up. Uh huh. No, so maybe somebody can't afford to set $15, $20 for. 
a sandwich or whatever. So we want to just be able to touch people in different aspects. I love it. And then 2024. Yeah. We're looking a little bit bigger. We're looking at spaces. Okay. Um, so I don't, we, our plan isn't to own a restaurant or anything like that. Think more event space and some incubator. other aspects. Yes. We love an incubator. So we love an incubator. So are, do you guys have any aspirations of TV? N- no, 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 not with it. I, I had some opportunities to be on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been on TV, Okay. Um, but I don't, that's not me. It's not the vibe. Yeah. I can feel it. It ain't for everybody. Everybody, I'm, I'm not like a, I can't fake it. <laughs> That's the biggest thing. I can't fake it. I can't it, fake so, it? So, I, I don't know. I ain't saying you can. I'm just saying. I can't like, fake it either. No, yeah. I'm just saying. And so, tell my chefies where they can find you. So, you can find me on Instagram at Creating with Josh. Any other social aspects is pretty much Josh or Joshua Swinney, uh-huh. per se. And then, for my brand or my business, you can find us at sincere.fair on IG and social channels. Okay. And then our website is sincerefair.co cope. Okay. Sincerefair.co. All right. Well, that's it, Chefies. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for joining me on the brown couch. Thank you for having me. I appreciate your time. And that's a wrap.